For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in the Red podcast, Zoom edition. Thanks to our lovely windy, snowy conditions. My computer says negative eight, but I hear it's what? Negative 40 wind chill out there. It's crazy. Beach beach weather, you know, it's uh, <laughs> prime winter. We're, we're getting snowmageddon out of the way early and I will move on from here. Absolutely. But it has been, I don't know, a week, week and a half since we last podcasted. A few basketball games going on. Of course, you know, big, big football signing day. Lots of recruiting. It's been a, a very busy couple of weeks. So that's what we're covering today. Of course, Jordan returns once again. Sorry, all you Amy Just fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Main fixture uh, during basketball season, that's for sure. Um, Jordan, you know, you've been following the men, but let's start off with uh, the women's team because they're on a little bit of a heater right now. Uh, you know, after that loss to Virginia Tech, five wins in a row, and Jazz Shelley is really just playing her best basketball right now. Yeah, they seemingly can't lose at home right now either. 7-0 and this season, 24 of their past 25 at PBA. Um, they beat Kansas last night, a three-overtime thriller for uh, for those that braved the snowstorm and went out. Obviously, they uh, they got their money's worth watching that game, but they're taking care of business right now. You just talked about Jazz. They beat Virginia Tech, or lost to Virginia Tech, but after that, they beat Maryland, Wisconsin, Stanford, Wyoming, and then Kansas last night. Just kind of uh, rattling them off in a row here. So catching fire at the right time of year, too. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the you look at the game against Kansas in particular, I mean, a lot of adversity in that game, Markowski fouling out. And of course, kind of the question mark right now is Allison Widener's health. Um, injury didn't look good. Obviously, they'll be examining that in the next couple of days, but really such a big part of that team, you know, in the guard play, um, you know, plays such a big role and and to lose her was was tough. But you look at who they've had impacting it, too. I mean, Maggie Mendelson. Uh, she's brought a, a lot to the post since she came over from the volleyball team, which is a, a pretty unique setup for her. Well, and I was going to say, too, with Allison, she's obviously taken a big growth this year uh, with that starting five. But you look at the injuries, <clears throat> Isabella Bourne's missed time, Trinity Brady's missed time. Last night, you have her run into a cameraman and she missed part of a game earlier this season, too, that uh, Amy Williams group has been tested, but they've just found a way to kind of overcome it one step at a time. And then to uh, to go into Maggie, UI. The volleyball presence is making an impact with the blocks, and obviously she's been good in her own end with it, but also uh, I know against Wyoming especially, chipped in a lot offensively for him, and that's going to be a big body for them going into the second half of the season here, especially with those question marks injury-wise. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're they're looking good right now. Big Ten play coming up, uh, so I'll be very interested to see how they perform. I mean, a couple of ranked wins already, so momentum to build from. Uh, but on the other side, yeah. uh, the men's team, you know, suffering a few losses. You know, last episode we previewed Purdue and that game. I mean, it was a yeah. it was an incredible game, wasn't it? It, it lived up to the hype and in, uh, in all aspects of that. And obviously uh, that atmosphere inside PBA was one of the most incredible ones they've had, especially under Fred in that tenure. But uh, I was going to say one quick thing to go back on the women's team, too. You talk about the ranked opponent last night in Kansas. They've got Michigan and Indiana coming up here. 
that uh, facing those ranked opponents is uh, is going to be the norm here for a little bit with them, and we'll get a chance to really see what this team is made out of. But with that Purdue game, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you can agree with this. Nebraska looked like the better team for a lot of that game, <clears throat> and they had so many chances to win there, especially late. You had those one-and-ones that they missed, the five shots in the final minute. They had their chances, which makes it almost more infuriating that they weren't able to pull that off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, thinking about the win over Creighton, and now it's like, you know, yeah. Creighton is – they're struggling. I mean, that's not a, a top 25 that, that, team right now. So That win's looking worse and worse by the day, it seems like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the, the Purdue game, we got to talk about the foul call. I mean – I understand it. If you're a referee in that instance, I mean, you're knowing that the other team is trying to go for the ball very in all likelihood they're trying to foul, but I mean, man, that, that was uh, as much of a phantom foul as you're going to see in a, in a high pressure moment. Yeah. And I, and I was going to say, I do think phantom is the uh, the perfect word for that. And I mean, I'm, I'm not usually one to sit there and rag on the officiating, but you see the reaction on a, uh, on social media and by the players after the game, it's, it, it's no surprise people feel the way that they do, but I will say to kind of play devil's advocate, Nebraska had so many other chances yeah. to win that game for it that you can't just point at that as the one deciding factor. You make those shots there in the final minute, other chances throughout that game. And granted, Nebraska's defense played spectacular against them. I know they shut down Edie for a lot of that game offensively, kind of controlled Purdue to the outside there. But yeah, the, uh, the Wiltshire call is one of those things that'll make you wonder going forward uh, how that game changes if that doesn't happen. But like I said, at the same time, you can't point as that as the deciding factor. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, they had what, you know, that sequence of several yeah. offensive <laughs> rebounds, you know, they just kept missing the shots. So, you know, sometimes you got to make your own luck, huh? <laughs> well, and, and the shots late in the game have been a theme too. I know uh, Coach Hoiberg talked about it after um, the Queens game there Tuesday night in the Battle of the Vault, which we'll talk about here in a second. But Nebraska went over five minutes without a field goal there in the second half. That, at some point, if this team is going to make a run, obviously uh, basketball is such a game that's decided there in the last few minutes. you got to make those shots when the time counts with it, and we'll see if they can really flip that. Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing that kept them in the entire game there against Purdue, you mentioned it, the defense. And, you know, I yeah. I thought from your story from the game, I mean, Matt Painter, very interesting quote. Yeah. You know, he's a, a very accomplished basketball coach. He's seen some very bad Nebraska teams and very good Nebraska team. So what's the difference? Yeah. yeah and e even last year, you look at, uh, I know the cliche, what a difference a year makes, but that's the truth with Nebraska and Purdue looking at how that game ended in West Lafayette. I, I know painters defense or painters answer was uh, just a couple words. They play defense and it, it's the truth of it. No surprise. Emmanuel Bandemol and Juwan Gary got those black shirts earlier this year. You look at the turnovers they're forcing the way they're limiting teams of the perimeter, obviously I want to say they're five or six straight games. They uh, won the glass battle and out-rebounded opponents. And Purdue is a team the week after that was voted the number one team in the country. We're not talking some uh, some small college wide spot in the road that they're coming in and holding them defensively. It, it's a buzzsaw that they ran into there. And uh, Painter, like you said it yourself, he's got that track record. He's seen a lot of basketball over the years. For, uh, for him, to, coming from him, it's especially a compliment for uh, how well this Nebraska team is playing right now on their own end. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's for sure to say that Purdue would not be number one if they had it, it, lost that game. But you know, they they still would have been you know a top fifteen team. They're having yeah. a, a great year, so. And, and they were four coming into it, and obviously uh, Nebraska playing with the momentum. It kind of kind of sucks. Obviously, that uh, 
really was the spark and what ended up being a three-game losing streak for him. Obviously, the K-State game kind of bookended that, and I'm uh, I'm sure that's a game everyone on that Nebraska roster and coaching staff wants back right now. But on the bright spot, obviously, you're able to rebound 75-65 win over Queens, and you go into the Christmas break here with a little bit of a feel good about yourself and momentum to hopefully roll into the second half because it's uh, the going gets tougher from here, 18 straight in Big Ten play to close out the season. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the battle in the vault, you know, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta talk about it. You know, when there's an event here on campus, when they, you know, bill up, you know, bring in teams from not from Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting event. I was not there in person um, just to clarify, just seeing stuff on, on social media and then trying to watch the game, <laughs> which is also a struggle, uh, you know, might I add, but you know, you, you get the early morning, Oklahoma Wesley and Concordia, which is, yeah. you know, I just imagine has to be tough for the players when you're playing in a nearly empty arena. You know, it's not so much that there's no one there. I mean, it's just that it seats 17,000 and, you know, yep. it's just a very weird experience. And that actually, you know, probably the best game was Mississippi State Drake. And yep. in my head, I'm just going, you know, what's Mississippi State doing? Thinking they're going to come play in the battle in the vault in December in Lincoln, Nebraska and beat an unranked Missouri Valley team. Nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I don't think too many people in, uh, in Starkville are signing up to come to Lincoln, Nebraska in the middle of December <laughs> with it. But, uh, it was, it was interesting to say the least. I know you, you talked about that morning game, which I think going into it, a lot of people expected to be a tough draw, but the afternoon game and then obviously the Nebraska game with it, it was uh, it was friends and family throughout that arena for most of the day, seemingly. And they did get, a, I, I will say in some regards, they got a little bit of a turnout for the Nebraska game, but you don't have this part of your season ticket plan for Nebraska yep. season ticket holders. That to me is the biggest question mark around this event. Why, why you would think that would work in that situation with it. But obviously you're bringing in Drake, obviously Concordia. I mean, you don't have those big local draws, whether it was you get a Missouri, a Kansas, someone with a, a, a recognizable school in kind of this Midwest region that you would have brought in. I think, uh, I don't know, judging off of the turnout and everything, we might not be seeing the Battle of the Vaults uh, <laughs> too, too soon. But if you're going to do it over again, you, you'd think they'd go for a little bit more of a name recognizable school. Yep, absolutely. My thoughts exactly. I mean, I, I like the idea. But, you know, a, and it's a, a good concept. Event. Don't yeah, get me a wrong. One day event yeah. in Lincoln. It's great. Bring in some good basketball teams, have the spotlight, you know, on Nebraska where those games are going on. But re realistically, I mean, the what should be the marquee event, the Nebraska home game. I mean, it was it was by far, I'm sure you'll say, you know, the lowest attended game of the year. And oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just tough. You know, when when you when you're trying to have a marquee event like that and and that's how it turns out. So. Well, when it was crazy, especially during that Nebraska game, even Amy and myself were joking about it. There were there were stints in that game where you could hear the conversations from the uh, the Queens coach on that bench, <laughs> clear clear as day yeah. in the opposite corner of that arena, just because not only the turnout, but just kind of the lack of buzz and excitement and atmosphere that was in that arena at the start there. That uh, I had a couple people earlier in the week either message me or reach out and ask me. Uh, Who's Queens thinking it was in New York, not North of Carolina course, with it, which right. just goes to show the the, uh, the caliber of opponent. Don't get me wrong. Queens was a good, coming into it, a good team. Obviously, this is their first season in uh, at the D1 level, but they've handled it pretty well. But deep down at the end of the day, when you're trying to market that event, I don't know uh, how many tickets Nebraska versus Queens is going to be selling at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I think they're actually they're they're fairly high up in the NET rankings, so they're not yeah. they're not going <laughs> to be tanking that. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Big Ten play coming up, as you mentioned, you know it, it doesn't get any tougher. Obviously, Nebraska played quite a few, you know, power conference or you know highly ranked teams there during the non-conference. But you know the, these Big Ten <laughs> games, as you've seen, you know, just yeah. the small preview. I mean, they're they're dog fights. They're tough. I mean, they are physical games often. A lot of the times low scoring or, you know, if you let the other team get ahead, they can be a, a bad blowout. So, I mean, from what you've seen from Nebraska non-conference, what's your kind of take about what Big Ten play will hold for them? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting because the one thing to really look at, obviously, they finished non-con play at seven and four, but you're without Derek Walker for part of that stretch. That St. John's game is the big one that you point to. I know we talked about it in the last episode, but obviously it's hindsight 2020. How has that game flipped with Derek in the lineup? You look at Indiana, they're without Sam for most of the, or for, for that entire game, obviously, with it. And their offense struggles to get much going. The one time we've seen this team fully functioning, if you will, is that Purdue game. And we see what they were able to do. You force overtime against a Purdue team that more than likely is going to be competing for a Big Ten championship this year. What will we see, though, is the big question mark with that team, hopefully at full strength going into the second half of this season. I know they start with Iowa out of the gate there. How are they going to face a road? Obviously, the Big Ten is full of uh, challenging road atmospheres that they're going to get on a nightly basis. That I don't want to uh, – obviously, you don't know what the bar set for this team is going to be like, but at the same time, I honestly do think they have a chance to at least compete in a lot of these games when they're firing on all cylinders. The big question is, Will they be able to do that from an injury, a health standpoint, everything that comes with that? Because big, like you said, Big Ten slate is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination here. Yep, great perspective. Totally agree. I think they'll they'll be competitive. You get a nice home court advantage yeah. in PBA, and it seems like you know no matter what Nebraska's talent level is, they always beat somebody very surprising on the road. So yeah. with, with well, how talented they- this team is, I mean, I could see that being a couple games like that. And I would say I'd be lying, too, if I didn't say the way that they're playing defensively right now does give me a little yeah. bit of optimism and confidence going into that. Now, will you be able to do that at a road site facing an atmosphere, obviously a hostile crowd in a lot of these places? That's a question for another day. But at home, at PVA especially, when you've got that home court advantage for you, I, I do think that defense will make a lot bigger difference than a lot of people realize. Yeah, and we will see Big Ten play starting up in a few days after yeah, roughly that, December off. 29th. Yep. Yep. week off for the team and they will be back in action. Then Jordan will be there. <laughs> he'll be, uh, he'll be riding with them. But for me, the last couple of weeks has been a lot of recruiting and football signing day, the early signing uh, period yesterday on Wednesday, huge, huge day, lots of announcements will cross the country, Nebraska, making a few big additions, losing out on another prospect or two. So a lot going on, but I think, you know, just as we stand here, Matt Rule put this class together in three weeks. I mean, yes, he's he was saying at his introductory press conference that, you know, he, he'd had a few weeks off. He'd done some work already. But still, I mean, three weeks is a very short amount of time to talk to these recruits, to pitch them on Nebraska, to get people in for visits, to get them committed. I mean, this stuff happens quick. And you look at what he did. Nebraska was about 50th in the nation after a string of a few decommits. Today, they're a top 25 or mostly top 30 class, depending on the recruiting service. Jordan, what do you what do you kind of make of this Matt Rule flurry to start things off? 
Yeah, I, I go back to one key word that he used several times yesterday, but it's relationships. You look at the way that in the 24-day period, he's been able to uh, make the grand tour of Nebraska, if you will, with it, and go around the country, go into these houses, and obviously connect with the families and the players right away. It's uh, it's no surprise you see, obviously, on the field results. We'll see in, uh, as time tells, but at least for this 24-day period here, he's been able to make that good first impression with it. And we'll talk about it here in a second, but... The big thing that I really key in on is that in-state recruiting that they've done. You listened to him yesterday, the line of every fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grader wanting to play for Nebraska in the future here, really establishing, we always talk about the 500-mile radius, but in your backyard, keeping these kids at home with it. You look at a Malachi Coleman, Tristan Alvano, obviously the amount of linemen that they were able to get or get to stay committed throughout this coaching change here. It's, uh, it's impressive what he's been able to do now, granted, Winning the off season only gets you so far in college football, but at uh, at this point, he's uh, hit the ground running with that aspect, and he's keeping you busy for these twenty four days too. <laughs> That's right. I mean, what I was just about to say is, you know, I was impressed with the number of prospects that they had committed. You know, the the bulk of this class has been built in these last three weeks. Yes, there's I think seven or so that were committed uh, before and and stayed committed, but. What I looked at, you know, was the amount of offers that went out were actually not crazy high. I mean, there were there were a good amount of 23 offers and, you know, quite a few prospects that didn't end up, you know, being heavily recruited by Nebraska. But I think the bulk of the offers that they made were guys that they were recruiting hard. And then the guys that they got to Lincoln, the majority of them ended up committing, which to me just shows that the staff did a good job, A, identifying those targets and then be, you know, they're, they're very personable, persuasive, you know, that's what we hear from the recruits. I mean, they pitch a great project they have going on in Nebraska, building it back up. You know, they're talking to everybody about where they see them fitting in, in the defense or the offense, those things mattered a lot to the recruits. And, you know, we, we saw a few big, big signing day decisions. You mentioned Malachi Coleman. This was such an interesting one to me because Malachi is a, a very big relationships person. That was why, he chose Nebraska in the first place, had a very great relationship with Mickey Joseph, built over several weeks, several months, you know, visits, conversations, all that stuff. So when he chooses to decommit and he's being recruited by, A, you know, some of the schools that have been talking to him for months, and then Colorado comes into the picture, it's because Tim Brewster, one of Deion Sanders' assistant coaches, he had been recruiting Coleman back when he was with Jacksonville State. So again, several months that they've been talking and all of a sudden, Matt Rule, you know, three plus weeks, he visits Coleman at Lincoln East, has the in-home visit, bring him on campus twice, once for an official visit. I mean, they built that relationship fast and and it paid off. I mean, landing a guy like that, especially when he's from here in Lincoln, uh, such a big signing day decision. Yeah, and for both Malachi and as a whole, one thing uh, that you talked about with the offers that they have, they've done a good job of just kind of closing on these guys. And you listen to Matt yesterday talk about you want speed, you want these athletes that they come in and develop. Obviously, he's got that pedigree with it. But the other big thing, and he's said it multiple times, he wants kids that want to be here, that want to fit yep. that mold of what they're trying to create here at Nebraska. And you listen to, to Malachi's comments after he commits yesterday, it kind of goes hand in hand with that. But the uh, the other fascinating thing, whether it's for Malachi or other, uh, other positions, this staff isn't even finalized. We don't know who the wide receiver coach is going to be. We don't know who other aspects of this staff are going to be. Yet there's such a belief factor in Matt and who's in place right now that they've been able to do that, which I think uh, speaks volumes of the work that they've been able to do in a short period of time here. 
Yep. It's a great point. I mean, all, all the different assistants have their own strengths, you know, their own ways that they recruit, but it's very clear that they have a, a unique pitch, you know, a vision that, yeah. you know, resonates throughout all of them. And that goes a long way along the recruiting trail. I think, especially if you look at a few of the characteristics of this class, um, high upside, as you mentioned, the in-state focus, um, quite a few of them come from previous rural connections, whether that's in Texas or the East Coast, um, you you know, looking at these new commits that got added to the class. But in particular, I think it's just the emphasis on upside stands out to me here. A lot of guys that when Nebraska offered them or brought them in here for a visit weren't necessarily ranked by these recruiting services, weren't necessarily three stars, weren't guys that had been on, you know, tons of power five FBS, you know, offers for months and months, just guys that, you know, they looked at the tape, they saw upside and through their conversations wanted to bring them to Nebraska. Yeah. And, and you, you talk about connections with the recruits. The other thing is with that staff, the connections, it's no surprise, kind of the, the tree, if you will, that's kind of growing from Matt down with the, the young energetic assistants he's been bringing in here, but at the same time, the connections that are there, you've got kind of that streamlined, streamlined message from the top down going to all these kids with it. And obviously they've, uh, they've identified most of them are in the backyard, but they've went out and identified the right kids that they want both from a, a culture and an on-field standpoint. And once again, obviously uh, the results show yesterday with the amount of guys that they have signed in their letter intent to come here. For sure. So just worth digging into these prospects um, a little bit more. Not going to keep you all you uh, Life in the Red <laughs> listeners here all day. Uh, but again, you know, been following this class for quite a while, um, especially as it came together the last couple of weeks. And a lot of that effort was up front, offensive and defensive line, it's a big, big recruiting class along the offensive line, and it's built on the in-state guys. Sam Sledge from Creighton Prep, watched him play the last couple of years. To me, one of the most consistent linemen in the state, opened up great holes in the run game, very powerful at the line of scrimmage. Um, Lincoln Southeast, Gunnar Gatula, I think great in pass protection. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the staff keeps him at tackle, might move to the interior. That's something that we've heard. Uh, so we'll see from that. Brock Knudsen from Scotts Bluff has just the best build, I think, of these linemen to play tackle. He's tall, he's strong, holds his ground very well. Um, I think he's going to project to be a, a great tackle in the future. And then Gretna's Mason Goldman, late addition to the class. Uh, I was very pleased to see Nebraska go after him, just seeing him the last couple of years. I think he's been one of the best linemen in the state, played tackle mostly for Gretna. Again, could be interior or could be the, on the defense. You have a lot of guys in this class, as I mentioned, the high upside might have multiple positions, so something else to factor in. And then, of course, a late addition to the class, Jason Masichek, uh, from North, uh, former North Dakota commit from Pierre, South Dakota. Uh, he joins the class as well. He's got a lot of great size, might need a little bit of work on the technique, but Nebraska clearly thinks they identified him You know, late in the process, uh, wanted him as part of that class. And then look at the defense, too. Princewell Munielen, I mean, big-time Texas recruit, was the highest rate recruit till Malachi committed a few hours later or a few days later, actually. Um, so, I mean, he, he is a very, very talented guy. He's going to be able to come in, have a great ceiling. Maverick Noonan from Elkhorn South, just a kind of tenacious pass rusher, has a lot of venom going after these quarterbacks, but super nice guy. So the type of, you know, football player that you want, uh, we were recording the showdown earlier today. And, and I think Evan Bland made the, 
remark. He reminds him a lot of Garrett Nelson. You see that too, guys that are really excited to go play for Nebraska, rush the quarterback. And then the other defensive lineman, real quick, Vincent Carroll Jackson, really high ceiling, very raw prospect. Riley Van Poppel, uh, another guy from Texas. He's been recruited to Nebraska for a while, though. Great physical uh, rusher up front. And then Kai Wallen, junior college edge rusher, I think will have the potential to maybe play right away. He's got all the all the great characteristics or traits you're looking for. Gets after the quarterback, uh, eager learner. So look at this class. It's built up front. It's a, a key commitment from Matt Rule in Nebraska. Yeah, and even you hear him yesterday talking about that depth and development on those type of guys. He's uh, he's not going to turn down a linemen that you see the tools and potential in place for. But I will say Gatula is one of the interesting ones to me, what they're going to end up doing positional-wise. I actually went yesterday for uh, signing day that ended up being at the Gatula's house with the winter storm kind of shifting some stuff around and was talking to him afterwards about that. And he's played tackle, obviously, so much throughout high school, but he's kind of going into this with an open mind of uh, – playing wherever they need him on the line. And there's multiple kids in that group that I could see being in the same boat of that. Obviously, uh, Donovan Royola sticks around with this new staff. They've got that previous relationship built up with it. So I'll be interested to see where they uh, kind of fit into the puzzle going forward here. Yeah. And to me, Matt Rule, he's a guy who's coached defensive line. He's He, he knows offensive line as well. Yep. He knows the value and importance, especially in the Big Ten, of having guys in the program for two, three, four years. And obviously he was, you know, he was blessed to come in and have a lot of these in-state offensive linemen committed already. But with with the transfer portal, you know, with having guys from in-state who you think are going to be in that program for several years, I'll be very interested to see, you know, the development in a couple of years from now. I think a lot of these guys that they brought in along that O-line, it could be, I mean, it's basically it's a starting five. And so I'll be interested to see yeah. how many of them do make up the starting five in a couple of years. Yep, and, and we use the cliche, but there's a lot of beef and a lot of size up front that there's uh, there's room for these kids to grow. And at the same time, even you hear Matt talk yesterday, there's uh, there's also pieces that he does like on Nebraska's current offensive line that uh, has potential for growth there too. So you mix all those uh, factors together. It'll be interesting to see what type of turnaround we see up front. Absolutely. And cluing in on a, a few of the other, um, of course, the rest of the recruits, in particular the skill positions, um, Malachi Coleman, Bryce Turner, Jalen Lloyd, Jaden Doss, four guys that could all play wide receiver. I think necessary, not a lot of scholarship wide receivers on the roster right now. So to me, it's not a, a big deal, you know, that they bring in all those guys. But again, Malachi Coleman has potential to be an edge rusher too, if they wanted to move him there. But I think he, he could be a big time playmaker um, because speed, speed, speed for all those wide receivers. Bryce Turner, Jalen Lloyd, Jaden Doss, maybe not as speedy as those other two track stars, but very elusive, um, good route runner as well. And then you have the tall, lanky Malachi Coleman, perfect for the outside, you know, single coverage potentially, you know, with those speedy guys, it's a, a great mix. Quentin Ives to a kind of hybrid running back wide receiver, six, three, great size, pretty speedy too. So I'll be interested to see how they use him as well. Yeah, and you look at that receiver room over the last few years, there's been so many guys that come in with that potential that uh, leave you hungry for more, if you will, with uh, kind of a series of what-ifs around them, that there's got to be opportunities for immediate impact competition going into that with, you talk about it, you bring in four guys with this, that the door's got to be wide open if those guys want to kick it in, that uh, the, the reps and playing time will be there for the taking. Absolutely. And of course, filling needs there on defense as well, Dylan Rogers. And Eric Fields coming in as linebackers, 
Rodgers maybe a little bit more on the outside. Fields could be inside linebacker or outside, very athletic, uh, versatile player. Two cornerback recruits coming in, Sincere Safula from IMG Academy, took a post-grad year there, um, raised his recruiting stock quite a bit. Dwight Boodle, uh, brother of former Husker DiCaprio Boodle, and longtime commit from Miami. He stays part of this class. Ramir Stewart, Philadelphia area safety, very highly rated recruit, also part of it. And a kicker, Tristan Alvano from Omaha Westside, great, great kicker, clutch, clutch kicks in the Class A title game and all season long. That kind of wraps it up for, for all these different prospects. So I think, you know, we always have kind of a question, you know, something to debate a little bit. So I think for today, we got to pick, you know, maybe two or three of these guys three or four years from now, who do you think we'll be looking back on and saying that was a, a big win that they got them? Yeah. Well, the, the first one, I know a uh, great minds think alike on this one, I guess, if you will, but uh, that state championship game performance is, uh, is no coincidence in this. We look at Tristan Alvano looking at the kicking position for Nebraska over the past couple decades, obviously you've got the Browns, but the Brown brothers, Henry drew on top of that so much stability over the years. And the last few years, obviously, uh, Kicking has been a little bit of a question mark, if you will, a little bit of a revolving door that you're looking for someone who can kind of come in, solidify that position. But also, I think Tristan's a case where, for this staff especially, one of the first real big wins of an in-state kid to kind of hopefully set a trend going forward from their position of getting him to stay home. You look at the way that uh, I know Mickey Joseph at the start of that handled it, but the immediate offer right after that game there kind of the way they handled that situation. I, uh, You see the importance, you see the priority on getting a kid to kind of solidify that position. And obviously kicker might not be uh, the glamorous position of a uh, skill skill set on the outside or anything like that, but at the same time, it's so important with special teams for this team. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Alvano is one of those guys because kicker, you know, it, it's the type of position where if you don't have a good one, you're always going to be stressing about it. Yep. And if you do have a good one, it's kind of like, okay, set it and forget it. You know, it's a, a fantastic luxury for a team to have. And just looking at the traits that Alvano has, I mean, performs well under pressure, great leg, accurate. Um, you know, he, he has all the attributes that you want. And I, I think, you know, honestly, he could be a, a several year starter for this team. Absolutely. Well, and we look at the special teams woes on this team. That that point about a several-year starter is, I think, the biggest thing for this. is just to have some sense of stability and security going a couple years down the road here. That uh, if, if he can take the position and run with it, I, I think they got a good ones on their hands that they can build on. Absolutely. So my, my second potential recruiting win, I'm going with Vincent Carroll Jackson, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania lineman. Um, very interesting. Didn't play football until his senior year, you know, maybe at the youth level, but not in high school, picked up the game, you know, very raw player along the offensive and defensive lines, but it's clear to see he has size. He can move pretty well. Once he develops that technique, he had a Georgia offer. He had a, a bunch of different schools coming up there interested in him. And, you know, I, I look at these defensive line and edge rusher candidates, and I think all of them have great ceilings. I just think that the physical traits and, you know, the fact that he is as raw as he is, he he kind of comes to mind as one of those guys. Yeah, and, and he's definitely an interesting case of the potential. Obviously, there's a few more guys in the lineup front that could have uh, easily been the pick for this, but I think I'm going to go with Eric Fields for mine. Um, you hear Matt Rule yesterday drop the line, everyone here is going to know who he is in a couple of years. Just the size, the speed, the raw athleticism this kid's bringing in here, 
the leading tackler in Oklahoma. He had a standout prep career. I know we talked about it a little bit ago. He kind of has that flexibility that, at least from the outside looking in, you can put him at either the inside or outside linebacker position. I think the biggest thing, playing in the Big Ten, you're going against the run game on a weekly basis just to have somebody up the middle there that has that athleticism that can move around the field with it, kind of be the uh, the captain of a defense potentially there. I think that's a, a big position and a big need with this kid coming in here. And even you look at this offseason, Yes, you've got a Luke Reimer. Um, Isaac Gifford's grown a little bit over the past couple of years. You've got those guys in that defense. Nick Henrich is coming back from an injury that can step up. But this is a one-off season. You're losing an Ernest Hausman, who was a real pillar up the middle there. You look a couple of years down the road, who knows who that next kid in that position is going to be. But if you can really have Eric Field stay as a uh, stabilizing factor at linebacker, I think he's got a true chance to make an impact. Yep, closes ground quickly. I think great, great potential in one of those recruits that – Again, was Arkansas State was pretty much his only option, not ranked by most recruiting services. Nebraska swoops in, gets him on campus, and and comes away with the commitment. And look, now he's a three star, kind of how it works all the time. But yeah. it, so it's it goes. The, uh, the, it's the perfect development story for Matt Rule and his staff here. So for sure. So we will be very interested to see a few more things happening, a few more commitments to come during the Under Armour All-American game. Transfer portal still kicking off. And of course, recruits who did not sign uh, will have until February to do so. So still more recruiting to come. Basketball action, as I said, Big Ten play starting up in here a week or so. So when we return next, we'll have uh, some more developments, probably some more commits, uh, more games to discuss. But appreciate all of you tuning in, Jordan. Thanks for joining us once again. And Thanks to all our listeners. This has been the Life in the Red podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.